Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golf.com podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zock. Today we'll be joined by a voice you know really, really well. All golf fans know this voice because they've been watching golf on TV and on NBC Sports specifically. They've definitely heard this voice describe golf shots from the field of play for decades. Our guest is Roger Maltby, who is in his 27th year as a reporter and analyst for NBC Sports. 27 years, people. That came after a successful career as a PGA Tour player and a PGA Tour winner five times to be exact. So, Roger, first and foremost, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Now I feel really old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm probably not going to help you out, but you've been doing this for 27 years and I am currently 25 years old. So uh, (laughs) I'm I'm pretty young, uh, but it just says how long you have been the guy, the voice. Um, Do you get recognized more from your voice or from your face when it it comes to being out there on the tournaments? Well, uh, I would have to say my face. I'm, I'm probably what, uh, better known for my voice, I guess. Uh, they kind of dubbed me the Course Whisperer <laughs> years ago as a nickname. Uh, so, but you know, the good news is I've got a face for radio, and they make sure you don't see me too much. So that's good for me <laughs> and for the viewer. <laughs> I like it. And so you're in Austin right now for the WGC match play. How is it down there in Texas? I, it's cold and windy right now. Uh, I'm out at the golf course and uh, temperatures are in the very low 50s and we've pretty brisk breeze blowing. So uh, this is not really what we expect to see. It's supposed to warm up into the mid 70s today. And I think uh, with the exception of Saturday, we may see some inclement weather, but uh, we're we're looking pretty good. So uh, everything's getting set up and ready to roll. All righty. Well, it's a different type of tournament, I suppose, for for your purposes and your job, you're usually the guy that is inside the ropes with the leaders of a stroke play event. How does the match play format kind of change your preparation or, or your work for the week? Well, it's, you know, the the strategy of match play is, is what makes it uh, so fun and so unique. Now, I don't think the players would prefer to play in a match play format week in and week out. But to have that head-to-head confrontation, uh, you know, as rarely as they do, I think they they welcome it. It's it's a, a very different form of competition. Uh, in the stroke play event, you're playing against the field, a total aggregate of strokes uh, played, and it's, you know, kind of a simple game of math. You know, you just keep stacking up the numbers you make hole by hole to declare a winner. In this, it's head-to-head. It's uh, – uh, if you make a six and your opponent makes a seven on a hole, well, six is not necessarily a good score, but if it's good enough to win the hole, it's a good score. So uh, it becomes more personal uh, on the player's uh, side. You know, it's it's just me and you. It's nobody else. It's uh, just the two of us here, and uh, you can get some interesting by-play and stress and strain between competitors as they uh, – as they play, but uh, it's fun to watch. It's uh, as exciting, I think, the most exciting format in golf. Yeah, uh, and I really, I really do enjoy it. It's it's fun to do. Does it uh, does it does it make your job any trickier? Is it make it any? Uh, are, are there different things that you look for maybe uh, during the match play week? Well, uh, not so much during the week. But certainly during a match, any given match, yes. Uh, 
again, the uh, interaction between the players, uh, you know, are they somewhat affable or are they guys that maybe don't care for each other to start with? You know, I mean, that, that can happen and that uh, uh, provides a, uh, an interesting look. Uh, rules are a little different uh, from stroke play to uh, match play. Uh, you know, loss of holes as, a, as, a, as opposed to penalty strokes at times and so on and so forth. So there are differences in it uh, just by the competition itself, and, and, and that's what we have to keep an eye on. Totally. Now, as we said, you're generally the guy who's walking with the leaders on Sunday on the weekend uh, in a stroke play event. How did you land that gig as, as the guy who's, who's out there with the leaders? Well, uh, just a strange set of circumstances, really. Uh, uh, as I was a player in entering my uh, uh, very early 40s, I was uh, I had troubles with a shoulder, and a couple of surgeries, and I could play, but I knew I couldn't really play like I once could. I, I had some limitations and uh, got an opportunity uh, to work in the 1991 Bob Hope desert classic uh because they just got uh, new technology and uh, uh rf cameras you know where they could take cameras out without having cables attached to them in the fairway so on and so forth and the the hope tournament itself uh was contested over four different courses in five days and so back in the day before cable television and all that uh you know the networks would cover a golf tournament on a weekend. You know, they'd give you two hours Saturday and two hours Sunday. Well, at the, in the Hope's case, there was one course that would be called the host course. That's where the final round would be played. And they could come on the air Saturday at the host course where they tried to get the better field, so on and so forth, the star players for television uh, to be showcased on that Saturday. But the leader could be on another golf course. Mm-hmm. So they called me and said, would you, would you come down and try it? Well, I mean, there's no training. There's no preparation for it. You kind of get thrown out there and see if you can do it. And I did that uh, and then did the Ryder Cup at Kiowa Island later in the year. And a few weeks after that, they called Mark Rolfing, uh, uh, was the lead uh, on-course reporter for NBC at the time, and he left NBC and went to ABC so they called and offered me a job uh, and uh, I accepted and back then NBC didn't have many broadcast events only about nine a year and I could play some as I was still an exempt player I could play some and I could get my foot in the door so to speak in the broadcasting world uh, come 1995 and uh, NBC garnered the rights to the USGA championships and the number of events they were going to broadcast went way up and I had to make a choice. Either I was a player or uh, a broadcaster. And at that point now I'm 44 years old and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was make a choice. And, uh, I think I made the right one at that time and, and, uh, went into broadcasting full time. So it's, you know, why they haven't fired me yet, I haven't quite figured out, but I'm, I'm happy to be doing it this long, that's for sure. 
uh, that choice you made when you were 44, was it something that you spent a lot of time thinking about? Was it tough for you? Uh, well, it was uh, a little bit on my side and um, probably tougher on my wife Donna's side. She wanted me to continue playing. And I kind of figured at age 44, if I was going to be the next Jack Nicholas, I would have got that done by then. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a nice living. Uh, you know, I won some events. I lived my dreams, and it was great. But the handwriting was on the wall that that it wasn't going to be the same. And, you know, I, for longevity and stability of having a, a young family, I had two young sons at that point, uh, it really seemed like the right move to make. And, uh, and it was, as it turned out. And, uh, I've been very happy here at NBC and, and golf channel all these years. And, uh, I'm just very fortunate to still be around the game yeah. and still, uh, get to see the shot struck and hear the roars and, 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 uh, watch the very greatest players in the world play golf. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a very blessed life. Now, very, very happy, very lucky. I can tell you, your memory of it is is pretty great. Still, I mean, you're you're giving me details of the '91 Bob Hope Classic. That's pretty incredible. What uh, <laughs> if you if you jog your memory, what do you think is maybe your top three moments, or what's your favorite moment maybe from being inside the ropes as a broadcaster? Oh my goodness, there have been so many. Now those are the things that get hard. <laughs> how you how you you know place one over another uh you know tigers provided so many great moments uh, uh probably my very favorite moments though have been uh, rider cups okay those have been uh tremendous uh, the 91 at kiowa that was about as exciting as it gets when it comes down to hill Irwin and bernard liner on the last green for for the whole deal uh, that was pretty impressive uh, but it would be very hard for me to single things out. It, let's just say I'm blessed to have a life of great memories yeah. watching golf, and some of them have been truly uh, astounding. Now, now you are one of uh, a select few on the NBC Sports crew uh, that have really just been a staple in the golf coverage. You've been doing it for 27 years. Johnny Miller has been doing it for 29 years. Gary Koch, 22, and Mark Rolfing, just as many. What does it kind of say about you guys as a group that you've all kind of stuck with it that like you said, you haven't been fired yet or you have not tired of the gig. You haven't gotten tired of each other yet. Well, I, I think one of the great things uh, about uh, NBC uh, and I think our coverage uh, as, as former players and whatnot, I mean, we, we are all guys that love the game and hopefully that transcends, you know, to the viewer uh, transcends the broadcast and, it strikes a chord with the viewers. So uh, the whole idea when when Dick Ebersol and Tommy Roy started assembling our crew, you know, first the first piece of the puzzle obviously was Johnny, and he's been the the cornerstone and and uh, the guy for all those years. Uh, and then I was added to the puzzle. Rolfing had, was there at the time. Left came back. Anyway, it, it, it was trying to get guys involved in golf. And we got to throw Dan Hicks' name in there, too. Oh, yeah. He was part of our broadcast way back then. And, of course, has now ascended to be our play-by-play guy, our host. But, uh, you know, we've all been together a long time. We all, we all genuinely like each other. 
you know, we, we, we look forward to seeing each other uh, when, we're, when we're apart uh, for a while because of our schedules and whatnot. Uh, when we're, we're back together, we're, you know, we're truly happy to be back together. So uh, I think that's really been uh, really been the, the thing that, is, it, that has tied us together is our friendship and our love of the game. And uh, uh, hopefully, or seemingly, the the viewers have enjoyed that, or believe me, we wouldn't all be together this long. Yeah, no kidding. Now, if you add them all up, it adds up to 100 consecutive years of you guys broadcasting together. It's pretty incredible. Um, The the latter part of that, most recent part, has been some from-head-to-toe coverage of of Tiger Woods' career. You've seen the ups and the downs. and you also know at least a little bit of what it's like being the man inside the ropes. Is there a simple way of, of summing up what it has been like to trail Tiger Woods inside the ropes through his career? Oh, gosh. Uh, ooh. You know, the first time we really covered Tiger, I think, would have been what, his second U.S. amateur victory. Um uh, which would have been what at Newport Country Club? Yeah, ninety-five. Uh, yeah, beat Buddy Marucci in the finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've seen him as a young man. Uh, then we saw him become absolutely the dominant force in the game, and we've seen the trials and tribulations of his personal life, you know, his health status, so on and so forth. And, and now we're getting to to see the, the, uh, comeback attempt. Uh, it, 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 it has been unbelievable. And I noticed at Tampa a couple of weeks ago when he got himself in the thick of it and was coming back, you know, the, the craziness, the frenzy that goes with the, the fans that watch him. I mean, he'd been gone basically for four years. I, you know, there, there were, there really wasn't. You, you forgot what it was like, and the the fans were so riled up and wound up, and and you felt something different as well. Uh, he was always watched uh, by by people who had a zeal for golf and wanted to see Tiger play, and there was a good percentage of the gallery uh, of people that did not play golf that came out to see. Tiger Woods just wanted to see Tiger Woods. It's kind of like Babe Ruth has come to town or something, you know. I mean, dad's taken their sons, this and that, weren't golfers, uh, but just needed to see him. Now I noticed at Tampa a couple of weeks ago, there's a new, there's a new sort of emotion there. There's a, there's an adoration for Tiger uh, that had been missing for quite some time. You know, Arnold Palmer's galleries were always different than Jack Nicholas's galleries or, okay. or Lee Trevino's galleries or Gary Player's galleries. There was a there was a love affair the fans had with Arnold where they just pulled for him so hard on each and every shot uh, that made it quite unique. And and uh, I could detect that in the crowd at Tampa pulling for Tiger. Yeah. You know, they've missed him. They love him. They appreciate him. And they're pulling their hearts out for him. And I think he picks up on that, and uh, it's that's been really fun to watch. Is there anyone else on tour right now who has galleries 
that feel that way, that, that feel like they're pulling for him, or no? Yes, Phil. Okay. Phil, Phil would certainly be the first guy to come to mind. And, you know, all golfers have their own fans, but it's the legion, the, the, the size and scope of, of uh, the numbers that are pulling for Tiger and Phil that set them apart. I mean, people are really, really love them and want them to win. Is there, is there a difference between the Tiger gallery and the Phil gallery that, you, that isn't, uh, isn't obvious by just sheer size? Well, I I think what I uh, uh, alluded to earlier, uh, I think Tiger draws more people to the golf course than aren't necessarily golfers. You know, they really are not players. I think Phil's gallery would would come from people who more actively play the game. You know what I mean? But Tiger, Tiger, there's a a sense of celebrity or whatever uh, that people are drawn to see whether they understand a three iron from a seven iron, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I think they're different in that regard. Now you were not follow. You were not with tiger this weekend, uh, at Arnie's event. You were with Stenson and DeChambeau. Is that right? Yes. So, so you're a couple groups behind them and Rory goes on to win from the penultimate group. And tiger is obviously mm-hmm. jumping into contention from a groups, a couple groups ahead of that. What's it like for you right. in your position when you know who's in those groups ahead of you and you know that things are happening and you're hearing roars? Well, I do get to listen to program in my headset, but I'm also not concentrated on what's coming through that headset as far as program. I got my own issues. I got to find a golf ball. I got to see what kind of lie they have. I've got to try to think about, okay, where is options from here? Where is he going to try to hit it? Where's the wrong place to hit it? Where is the place you should be trying to hit it if he misses Where's the area that gives himself a chance to save par from? So, I mean, I've got all these things running through my head. I'm looking at yardage numbers, so on and so forth, trying to handle my duties uh, in my group. And so I don't hear every word that's said. You know, I I get the gist of what's going on, but it's not like I'm sitting in front of a television set just focusing on the pictures and the words that are coming out. Uh, obviously, I have no pictures other than what I see with my group. But uh, uh, so, yes, I mean, I, I knew that they were both playing well. Uh, I knew Rory was making a move. I knew Tiger got right to within one shot of the lead. And uh, and you can tell, you know, a Tiger roar sounds different than a Rory roar and this and that. It, you know, it got to be a little bit like the back nine at Augusta, you know, in a good masters, you know, where you can start telling, you could pick out the sounds and kind of knew what was going on. So yeah, it was, it got very exciting there for a while. It was quite a tournament. We've been very lucky all three weeks that uh, we've done have been exciting, good events, really good events. Yeah. I'm glad you talked about the masters there because Rory winning uh, tiger contending multiple times, Phil winning in Mexico, it, it feels like not only for the benefit of NBC Sports uh, in the past couple of weeks, but it feels like this is all coming together really well for the Masters. It really does. It feels like there has never been more hype for the first major of the year. Can you remember a time when the anticipation for the first major was this great? Oh, boy. Um, probably not where I could specifically remember. I mean, uh, I'm sure there were times when Gary, Jack, and Arnie were all playing well, getting ready, gearing in for Augusta too. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is probably going to be as hyped and uh, 
as anticipated a Masters as I could ever think of. Uh, it's good. That's what all the ink's going to be about in advance. It's going to be about about uh, Phil, Tiger, and Rory, and that's great. I mean, it, it, let's put it this way: we we will have finished our run uh, of broadcast. Uh, what uh, it'll be on uh, uh, three, four, a six-week run. And when I get home that first week of April, my fanny's going to be on the couch and I'm going to be watching the Masters. I'm ready for it to get going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, speaking of the Masters, um, one of the last things I want to talk to you about um, is your playing career. And I know that it might not be your one shining moment, but the 87 Masters was, is definitely one of your, your peaks uh, in terms of when you yep. were playing your best. Uh, right. And I need to. I know it's not something you probably love talking about, but I got to compliment you because I was watching the the final round broadcast just this morning, um, and you know all the final round broadcasts are now available on YouTube. And you're in the final pairing that Sunday with with Ben Crenshaw. Uh, I'm watch. Right. I'm watching the broadcast and I'm laughing to myself because the the fashion on display is pretty hilarious. You've got Tom Watson wearing this bright yellow visor. Um, Larry Mize is wearing this pur- this purple striped shirt that I don't think looks good on anybody, but you actually look really good. Like you had these all white pearly shoes on. You had a white polo with this like soft pink vest over it, with a white uh, Michelob visor. That was a good look. Well, I was hoping it would look nice with a green jacket, but it didn't <laughs> turn out that way. <laughs> I was going for the preppy look. Uh, nah, it was. Uh, it was obviously an exciting time. And as, as I get older, uh, you know, that uh, remains one of my fondest memories in golf, even though it didn't turn out the way I would have loved for it to turn out. But uh, going to the 10th tee the last day with a the lead, uh, they say the, the Masters doesn't start until the second nine on Sunday. And I'm not going to argue with him. Boy, I was alive <laughs> for those nine holes. I was alive, it, and it was uh, a great experience. It is so cool to to watch those final round broadcasts uh, of you know Masters in the '70s and '80s and even late '60s. Um, there are some things that you see that you just don't expect if you've only been watching the Masters in the you know 21st century. Uh, and this this is another thing that caught my eye is um, you were able to smoke cigarettes while playing. I know it was a different time then, but do you ever think back to the fact that you were smoking in the fairway uh, at Augusta National and, and how that just kind of seems crazy to people nowadays? Uh, I got to be honest with you, no. <laughs> I was just a smoker, and there were more of them then than there are now, and that was just part of what I did. It didn't register to me that it was special in any way, shape, or form. Uh, now, uh, in this time, uh, you know, now it it would stand out more, I guess, but, uh, no, I didn't give it any thought back then. No, it it was just, it was just part of the the time. And I got to admit it. You looked cool doing it. Uh, now as we get to the end of that, that round, you needed to go birdie birdie finish to tie uh, and get into playoff with Larry Mize and Greg Norman. Uh, and I believe it was Seve. Uh, you get the birdie on 17, you find the yeah. fairway on 18, and you hit a yeah. really, really, really good approach. 
that I think literally flew one foot too far. Uh, how much, how much does that approach stay with you, or did it did it hang on you for you know, weeks and months afterward? Do you think about it still? Well, that, you know, that's that's a great question, and uh, yes, uh, I do think about it to this day. Uh, certainly, every time I watch the Masters, uh, uh, you know, which which also worked against me in a way, having watched the Masters every year since I was a little shaver and dreaming about that moment. And of course the, the hole on that Sunday was in the front left uh, hole location, the traditional uh, Sunday finishing location. And uh, as I stood in the fairway and hit a six iron, as, as I look back all these years later, probably the best golf shot I ever hit wow. given the weight of the moment and, all that, I mean, I hit it exactly like I wanted to, and I was going to use that slope behind the hole, which mm-hmm. separates the upper and front lower uh, areas. I, I just hit it perfectly, and uh, I was waiting for the crowd to react uh, that the ball would be coming back down the slope toward the hole, and it didn't happen. <laughs> And I was crestfallen, you know. I mean, I, I really thought that I was going to give myself a chance, a, a, a good putt at getting in the playoff, and uh, uh, it wasn't to be. And then where it works against you is that you walk up that hill and you finally get to where you can view the green, and I see my ball uh, just on top of that rear tier. And, you know, it, you can't help but know that all these years you've watched it, nobody. Yeah. Has ever made that putt <laughs> ever? Can, can you, uh, you know? can you tell me what it's like sitting standing behind that ball trying to read that putt? Because you're exactly right. That is that's a putt that if someone has uh, in a couple weeks, it's just. I mean, I don't know who's going to make it. Oh well, I don't think anybody's going to make it. I mean, it, it's lightning fast, obviously coming down that hill, and uh, you know you get fed over it, and it's going to break to the left, and then. When it gets down in the area of the hole, it, it kind of quits breaking, and it's just uh, it's just a very very hard putt. I was thrilled to get it down in two, hmm. uh, but uh, you know, it, like I say, watching it all those years, you know nobody's made it. Your odds aren't very good. You're going to make it either. You can't help but know those things. Yeah, the worst part about it, uh, Roger, is that um, on the on the YouTube the the final round broadcast you, no one can watch what you did either because it cuts right from your approach and Ben Crenshaw's approach it cuts right to the playoff there's no in between there we don't get to see if your putts go in and obviously they didn't but it's I was pretty depressed this morning I didn't get to, to actually watch you put it out uh, but that's <laughs> that's just too bad um, we'll have to leave that one at that um, one of my yeah. last things for you is. Uh, when you watch the Masters nowadays, you you're watching it through a TV screen. Um, I, I I wholly believe that you can't quite capture Augusta National on TV. They do a pretty good job of it, but you can't quite capture it. What do you think is most different for people watching the Masters now than um, than what it's like or what it was like back in in the 80s? Um, is is it very similar or does it feel uh, very much different? Well, you know, with the advent of high-definition television, uh, I think the viewer gets a much better scope of the slopes uh, on the greens and on the golf course. But still, as you say, I don't know that the television medium uh, 
can really give you the scope of the property. I mean, uh, the first time I went to Augusta back in 1976, and you know, you walk out the back of the clubhouse and just gander from the the highest point on the a property, which is that area where the clubhouse is, and just look out over this golf course. I mean, it's 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 breathtaking, and and you really you know you you think you know it from having watched it on television every year since I was you know eight years old or whatever, and uh, you, you think you know it, but you don't. You just don't. You don't realize uh, uh, the scope of the place. And, and, and all the demands that are placed upon a player, uh, you know, it, 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 it is uh, unique. There is nothing else like it in golf. I don't think we'll see anything else like it in golf. It's its own stage, its own theater. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, it's, it's a treat. When it rolls around in April, the golfing world takes note. And that's really kind of for a lot of people when the golf season starts. It's the celebration of golf at Augusta National, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a treasure. Yeah, it really is. I think we can leave it at that for now, Roger. Thanks again for joining me today. Anybody who who wants to to enjoy the run up to the Masters, you'll also enjoy Roger Maltby on the call for NBC Sports this week, especially down in Austin for the match play. Thanks again, Roger. You bet, Sean. My pleasure. That is it for the podcast today. Thanks to Roger for joining us, and thanks to you for listening. Before you go, do me a favor and give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, That helps us out a lot. I'd really appreciate it. We have a couple of great podcasts coming up in the next week or so. We're really working on getting some of the best content out there audio-wise for you guys pre-masters. So if you're listening and you haven't subscribed yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Come on, people. Alan Shipnick, our favorite California host of this podcast, He will be in New York later this week to give the studio life a try. Stay tuned for that. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Zock.